running away from people now. 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass end zone. Touchdown and the ball game. DeVito in relief wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte as we welcome you live to Dave and Buster's out at Destiny USA. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. We do have one guest lined up for you today. Our good friend Eric Devendorf set to join us at 1 o'clock. Uh, may or may not be out here at Dave and Buster's. We believe he's coming. He will. We believe he's coming. We, we talked to him this morning. He's going to be here at Dave and Buster's. So. Uh, looking forward to visiting with Eric, as always, and a lot to get to regarding this SU men's basketball team. Uh, again, we can talk some NFL as well. I, I happened to, to go to uh, Bill's Ravens yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on the AFC and the Buffalo Bills in particular. We'll do that as the show moves along. And, again, your phone call is welcome at any time, 315-437-7644. We have to start with SU basketball, Seth. And this team went down to Atlanta in desperate need of a win. And not only do they win that game, they just blow the doors off Georgia Tech. 97-63, Elijah Hughes was a one-man wrecking crew in the first half, had 26 at the break, finished with 33 in the game. Uh, Seth Everett and I were talking on Friday, uh, Seth, about whether or not Elijah Hughes could be the tiest battle for this team. And I said that there's no choice. He's going to have to be the tiest battle for this team. And and he was that and then some on Saturday down in Atlanta. Impressive performance out of the uh, transfer from East Carolina. Yeah, he was great. And, you know, la- I think it was last week that I said, hey, as good as Elijah Hughes has been through the beginning of the season, it almost feels like they need him to do more. And it felt like that was a step in the right direction. Of course, it helps. A step when in you the got- right direction. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I mean, of course, it helps when you come out and you hit your first five shots and yes. you're just like the man from the jump. But I, I mean, taking more shots, being more in control of the ball. And it, it felt like on Saturday he really was. He, he really took over that game, particularly in the first half. He had the hot hand. He knew he had the hot hand. And he made sure that shots were going up when he got the ball. It didn't matter if he was on the on the three-point line. It didn't matter if he was a couple steps behind the three-point line. He went backdoor and dunked on somebody. He was doing it in every in every way imaginable and really put his stamp and his fingerprints particularly in the first half, but all over that game. You said a step in the right direction. I, I thought you meant like he, no, no, no. he needed to do even more no. than, than what he did on no. Saturday because I don't, I don't know if that's possible. No, but I, I guess my the, the point when I say step in the right direction, he's not going to shoot 10 of 15 every time. So how does he go out and have that impact um, You know, when he's not shooting that kind of a percentage? And to me, the answer is he's going to shoot more. You know, if, if the shots aren't falling at that kind of a rate, you've got to shoot enough that you're getting to the point where you feel like he's got his fingerprints and, and he is the game and the offense for you. I think he took one ill-advised shot, and the, the announcers, the, the announcing crew, called attention to the fact that it was an ill-advised shot. I mean, give him a break, see, will you please? Uh, well, I mean, see, I wanted to, I, I'm glad, because you brought that up, I, I'll mention it. I thought that was really funny because, first off, he had 26 points on 11 shots in the first half. It's fine. 
Like it you're is allowed, fine. You're allowed to take that shot. Second, the shot airballed and went out of bounds with less than a second left on the clock. Had to put it up. So, whatever. Fine with it. Go for it. Take that shot every time. He, he won him that game. I mean, to come out and, and to set the tone that w- the way that he did. And I think we saw everybody else kind of settled in and, and fell in line after that, right? Elijah came out scorching hot, hit the four threes to start the game. And we know Buddy bayham has been struggling. And, again, it's contagious, right? Making shots is contagious. Missing shots is contagious. We saw over the course of the last three games that, you know, things were moving in the wrong direction with this team. One guy was was missing shots. Everybody seemed like they were pressing. Then all of a sudden Elijah gets off to that scorching start, and it felt like everybody fell into line right behind that, namely Buddy Beheim, who finally got it going. Yeah, Buddy had a great second half and put up 20 20 points in the second half alone. He, he played really well. His shots, like you said, Steve, just started falling finally. And when he gets hot, he's really dangerous. We know that. We've seen that. We've we've seen it early in the season against the Bucknells, Seattles, and, and Colgates. We saw it, uh, you know, last year against, uh, well, the majority of the ACC. When, when Buddy is shooting well, he is such a weapon and such a dangerous shooter for this team. And, um, you know, you saw that in the second half. He the way that Elijah took over a game in the first half, it, it didn't feel the same way because Buddy was doing most, if not all, of his damage. I, I would say all of his damage from beyond the three-point arc. But Buddy kind of had that same effect in the second half where he got the ball, he put it up, it was going in. And, and it didn't feel quite the same way because Elijah did it in the first half. They built that big lead, right. a 20-point lead at the break. And so you, you, you're right. You kind of lose sight of it in the second half because it wasn't a close game and Buddy got hot. Um, but to go out and, and to do that and to win by 34 points in a game that they absolutely needed to have, uh, that, that's, a, that's a feel-good win that this team needed, and, and you hope it, it gets them back on track now as they, they move into the Georgetown game and beyond. And, and we talked about this last week, Seth, that you know they were staring at a four-game losing streak, maybe a five-game losing streak square in the face. They, they ended after three losses in a row. Now you have a chance. You could be on a five-game winning streak going into the Notre Dame game. If you can knock off Georgetown at Georgetown, you assume you're going to win the next three. Now all of a sudden you're nine and four going into the Notre Dame game. You feel a lot better about yourself. Exactly. And, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, and, and obviously it was it was saying, hey, if you can win this game against Georgia Tech and if you can go win that game at Georgetown, it's setting up for you to nicely build some momentum, start feeling comfortable, and, and really get into the swing of your season having won five games in a row. And it's certainly setting up that way. And, look, I know Georgetown – uh, just went on the road and they beat Oklahoma State. But don't forget, this this is a program that dismissed uh, or, or that that lost four players last week, dismissing three and losing one to transfer. You know, they they are in a bit of upheaval, and and it'll be interesting to see how they come out. You know, first game so far so good. They went and beat an opponent on the road that you couldn't beat on a neutral site. But I'm interested to see what Georgetown is this weekend. If that team that Syracuse played as against Georgia Tech on Saturday. Um, if some semblance of that team shows up, not only this weekend, but through the season, you're going to be in some pretty good shape. The shooting numbers obviously jump off the page. And Elijah's performance is obviously the headline. And I think Buddy is, you know, the the, the next headline. But 
you look at what they did defensively, and it, it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because it was a 34-point victory and, and the thing was over at halftime, but Michael DeVoe comes into that game leading the conference in scoring. He was 2-for-12 yep. on Saturday. And, you know, we, we talk to Jerry McNamara all the time, and, and his, his line is KYP, know your personnel. They knew their personnel going into this game. Jose Alvarado out still with the ankle injury. They hope to get him back around the end of December, early January. Um, so he wasn't out there which meant Michael DeVoe had to carry this team. He has been carrying this team throughout the early part of the schedule. But, man, the SU defense did a great job clamping down on him. He finished 2-for-12 from the field, 1-for-5 from three-point range. Yeah, and, and you know what? James Banks didn't kill him either. You know, James Banks fouled out in 24 minutes, uh, 8 points and 3 rebounds. He, he did not kill them inside the way big men have been recently. And, and so um, when you factor those things and, and combine those two factors, uh, it led to a really good defensive performance for this team and, and something that we hadn't seen the last three games when they were playing Iowa, Penn State, and Oklahoma State. They switched, they switched gears really at every facet of the game. They played incredibly um, incredibly well and, and much better than they had all season offensively. And this was one of their better defensive performances too. They, they clamped down and and, uh, you know, they, they really forced Georgia Tech into some uncomfortable situations. Obviously, it helps when you go up by 20 points at the half. And it helps when you shoot 51% from the field. Georgia Tech held to 38% from the field, uh, 8 for 23 from three-point range. And, again, they got off to that scorching start, and they never looked back. The other big storyline to come out of this game, Howard Washington. Yeah, first point guard off the bench, not Bryson Goodine, and we saw quite a bit of how we play uh, in this game. Played 17 minutes, had eight assists. Um, now, some of that is, and Jim Beham mentioned this afterwards, and, and obviously it's it's true. He was fine in shooters, and shooters were making shots, and that helps your your assist numbers. Me being the former point guard, I know that as as well as anyone. You find an open shooter, he makes a shot. You know you. You're helped out with the the assist, um, but it's really you know credit to the guy for making a shot. But I, I thought Howie did a great job running the point, running the show. Uh, he seemed to be in control, and I I thought it was very interesting. He got 17 minutes. Bryson Goodine got four minutes, and and I wonder if it was just a one game thing, or if Washington had been playing really well in practice, they wanted to reward him, and it you know things were going well, so coach left him out there, or if this is truly a sign that for the time being anyway, maybe Washington has, has moved ahead of Bryson Goodine in the pecking order. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, and, and it's something certainly on the list to talk to Jerry McNamara tonight uh, when, when we've got his radio show. Um, that question of how that point guard rotation works is really interesting to me. I know we've talked about it in regards to uh, Joe Girard versus Bryson Goodine and, and how Bryson and Jalen Carey were um, – what essentially splitting minutes 50-50 from the four games in Italy to the two preseason games back here stateside they essentially split minutes 50-50 you know down the middle only to have Joe Girard go and be the point guard two games in and and something was weird it it felt off it didn't it didn't make sense in that regard and now you've got Howard Washington coming in and and playing you know 17 minutes nearly half the minutes at point guard in in the game the other day um, you know, again, it's it's one of those things that, that it's just that position hasn't seemed to make all that much sense this year. Um, 
and I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out because Howard did some good things. Yes, he did some, uh, you know, he did benefit from finding shooters. He did pick up a couple of, of assists in overtime, and, and I'll, I'll say it before you do. I know Jesse Edwards scored all his points when the game didn't matter. Uh, but, but that being said, you know. Uh, you love Jesse he, Edwards. Howard, Howard Washington did some good things. He was a calming, you know, he was a steady hand, it seemed. And, you know, when Elijah kind of, um, I don't want to say he cooled off, but he he kind of he started missing a couple of shots. If it, it felt like Howard Washington came in and kind of steadied things in the half court and and, found some, and and got some open looks and kept the offense moving. Absolutely, he ran the offense. He played 17 minutes. He had eight assists. I don't care if guys are making shots or not. That's pretty good. Um, obviously, he had eight assists, just one turnover, and and I think that was Coach Bayham's biggest issue with Joe Girard. Uh, Girard had three turnovers, and he played 22 minutes. And listen, the kid's got a bright future. But, you know, in the meantime, he's he's a work in progress, especially at that particular position. Howard Washington came in. He was able to, to really run the offense smoothly, get the, the ball to guys who, who had open looks. And, and by and large, those guys knocked him down. Hughes and, and Buddy Beheim combined for 12 made threes between them. They were 12 for 24, the two of them, from three-point range. Elijah was 6 for 11. Buddy Beheim, 6413. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to check in. We're going to take a quick timeout. We're back after this coming to you live from Dave and Buster's at Destiny USA. It's Orange Nation. You're listening to ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're coming to you live from Dave and Buster's at Destiny USA. 315-437-7644. If you'd like to get involved, we're brought to you in part by Burdick BMW. All right, what did we learn from this game on Saturday? If anything. Uh, did you learn anything about the Orange? Well, I think we learned that, like, we... It was reinforced that we know they can shoot. It was reinforced that we know they can score, uh, that, that this offense isn't totally and completely broken. Are they going to score 97 on a regular basis? Probably not, although this is the second time they've done it. Uh, but they're also probably not going to be stuck in the, the 50s too often either. And I, I think that there's somewhere in between. Um, you know, I, I don't know, and, I, and I'm curious what you think, but I don't think that we overreacted after one bad performance. You know, I think I think we kind of waited. I think we waited for it to be, you know, uh, three, two, three, four. You know, and and really the, the it felt like this team was in some real trouble. Really, after they lost to Iowa, which was the third in a row and fourth loss to a major conference opponent by double digits, where you didn't look good um, this season. And so I don't think that we should necessarily now overreact to one win going the other way. They now beat a Power 5 conference opponent. They they won convincingly. They won by double digits. And they did it against somebody who's not Seattle, Colgate, Cornell, or Bucknell. And so I, I don't know that we should necessarily overreact to that. But I think that it, I mean, look, it's it's impossible to deny that it's a step in the right direction. It's impossible to say that it's not a positive development, that this team came out and played well and looked the way that they did. It's absolutely a step in the right direction. Um, and I don't think we're overreacting by, you know, taking a look at, at this game and, and praising them for, for how well they played. Um, with that being said... I think they're going to have their nights that they still struggle in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it's a young team that, that's learning to grow up. 
I'll be interested to see if if this team can get off to a bad start and react and respond. You know, we've seen them against the Bucknells, um, you know, Georgia Techs of the world, where they, they started fast and then it, it led to a blowout. We saw them get off to slow starts, you know, during that three-game losing streak between Oklahoma State and Penn State and Iowa, and then they were unable to respond. It would be interesting to see this team if they can fight back in the middle of a game, right, get off to a slow start, fall behind by 8, 10, 12 points, and then work their way back. Um, which they were able to do to some degree in Brooklyn, but then they never quite got over the hump, and then things got out of hand in the second half. Um, so I think that that might be the next step for this. You still team. want to see if this team can battle? Yeah, if you know they're they're young, and so we know that if you know if they get off to a slow start, sometimes confidence can be hurt, um, and it can snowball, and, and we've seen that over the course of of this losing streak where it becomes contagious. One guy's missing a shot, somebody else is missing a shot, and and instead of responding or having somebody step up, you know, the, the thing slips away and they end up losing those three games by double digits. I'd be interested to see, listen, they won that game in large part because Elijah was just scorching hot to start the game. Right, so if that... They had, jumped out to a 20-point lead early and they never right. gave it up. So if 10 minutes in, it's like a two-point game, I guess is my point, and it's, it, it seems nip and tuck and, and you're in a battle, could they have done the same thing and, and pulled away? Um, it's obviously much easier to make shots when everybody's making shots and you're, you're feeling good about yourself. I think that, you know, that's, that's one thing I'm still not sure about. We talk about the toughness and the tenacity and the physicality of this team. They didn't have, need to have mental toughness on Saturday because they got off to a fantastic, again, that's not to take anything away from their performance, but they just, they didn't need to because they got off right. to a fantastic start and they were, you know, leading comfortably the entire way. No, that makes sense. And, and I get what you're saying. They, they didn't have to play tight they, they were playing loose because they were up so big so fast and and there wasn't much uh there, there wasn't much adversity in that game for for lack of yeah. a better term and and you know you you look at the games down at the the Barclays Center and they fell behind almost immediately the Iowa game they were in a close game at the half and fall fall behind you know immediately out of out of the gates in the second half and yeah, you're, you're kind of wondering if they can battle back and, and win a close game now. They they really haven't had to do that yet this year. I'm still... Like, is that Saturday? I mean, is, is that going to be Georgetown Saturday? I, I, They're I on don't the know. road in, in uh, what is going to be a tough environment because, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think, Steve. Um, and this isn't to say that the Syracuse fans don't still have a... Uh, a special place for the Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry. But I feel like the Georgetown fans hold it a little bit higher. Uh, you know, do, do you get that feeling? Like, I, I feel like they're still... Um, they've got a chip on their shoulder yeah, to some degree. Yeah, I think they've, that's they've fair. got a chip on their shoulder. They're still in it to... Uh, like I, I, I'm trying to think of, like, they, they feel slighted. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as if it feels like it's still, you know, number one versus number five in the country or, or whatever numbers you want to attach to it. You know, that... That's the feeling I get, like, having gone down there for one of the games and, and watching on TV, seeing how the fans react to that one. Um, it feels different there than it does here. And, and I'm not saying that it's not still a big game to the folks here. It just feels different, I, I guess, maybe because Syracuse left them. Like, well, I, I don't know I, what, I think that, like, I, I would imagine that's what it is, but. I think that's absolutely <laughs> the, the situation because Syracuse moved on to bigger and better things. Georgetown did not, right? I mean, right. Syracuse is playing Duke and Carolina and Virginia in conference every year. Georgetown doesn't have that right now. And, and, and the Big East is, 
good. Is good, but the ACC is great, right? I mean, the ACC is the creme de la creme of basketball conferences in the country, um, and and so I think it's it's human nature, right? Like in relationships, like if someone leaves, so, you know, it's it's the one, it's the partner who was left behind that's got the chip on right. the shoulder and that's bitter. Jealous. Syracuse isn't bitter. Syracuse moved on to bigger and better things. Right. Georgetown did not. So, right. I, so I, I think it makes sense that Georgetown's got the chip yeah, on the shoulder. And, and I think that you kind of see that in that environment. You know, the, 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 the fans get a little rowdier when it's that game because you can hear stories and you can watch any given Georgetown game and you know it's not necessarily like that. But I think that Saturday will be. I think that Saturday will be a uh, a game that those fans are up for, and it, and it might just be the the first rowdy environment that Syracuse is playing in this year. And and um, I'm curious to see how they react to that because there was nobody at the game on Saturday. <laughs> there was nobody down in Atlanta. Uh, you know, if if there's a, a large crowd that's really into it. Uh, that's that's the first real road environment they're going to have. And I don't really know what to make of Georgetown, uh, Seth, because you know they lose a couple of key players, one because of the suspension, one just because of, of transfer, but they lose two key guys off that roster, and then they go out and they beat Oklahoma State, who beat Syracuse by double digits. They, they beat them by, by seven, and then they uh, they go on the road and they beat SMU by, by double figures, beat them 91-74 over the weekend. So I, I don't... 100% know what to make of Georgetown. I guess I don't 100% know what to make of Syracuse right now either. Um, that's why I think it's it's a, it's a fascinating game for a lot of reasons. It, it means a lot to both teams. Um, but as, as we open the show from a Syracuse perspective, this game means a ton because if you win it, it's, a, it's your only quote-unquote marquee non-conference win. Um, and we'll have to see how good Georgetown ends up being when all said and done at the end of the year. But it's your only chance for a real good non-conference win. I think Colgate and Bucknell were nice wins, but I don't think at the end of the day they're, they're certainly not falling into it's quadrant not headline, one. It's not headlining your resume. No. It's not going to be like Buffalo was a couple years ago right. where it, it landed in quadrant one. Uh, it's most likely going to be a quadrant two win for Syracuse at the end of the day. Georgetown, again, you, you don't know. You don't know which way Georgetown is going to go from here. Um, they're certainly facing an uphill battle after losing those two key guys, but you, you don't know which way it's going to go. That's your best chance, though, for a marquee win out of conference. And then, again, you assume that you're going to beat North Florida, Niagara, and Oakland and head into you know January with a 9-4 and four record on a five-game winning streak and all of a sudden, it's going to feel like okay, we you know Let's stem the happens. tide, we survived that that bad start, quote unquote, and uh, yeah, like you said, see what happens. Go nine and nine in the ACC. Maybe that's maybe that's good enough at that point. You know, maybe it's good enough to go nine and nine, ten and eight. If you go ten and eight in the well, ten and eight the rest of the way, you're obviously already one and one. I'm saying ten and eight the rest of the way in the conference. That's probably good enough to get you into the NCAA tournament. So by winning this game against Georgia Tech, and if they can win against Georgetown, it it, it makes, buy, buys it, them some equity going into the the heart of ACC play. Yeah, it, it makes you it makes you feel more comfortable with where they gives would you some be. margin for error. Yeah. Whereas well, if you if you went if in you, on a five game losing streak, you had you had no margin for error, and you had to make up. Ground. You'd have to you'd have to but, go like twelve and six the rest of the way in conference. Right. Um, I still wouldn't say they have a great margin for error. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that's a large margin for error, but yeah, there would be some kind of 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 give there. Yeah, I think. It, listen, if you go five hundred the rest of the way in conference, 
you're at least in the conversation. Whereas if you had the five game losing streak and then lost another game, nine games on top of that, you can't. You're done. You're done. Yeah, there, there, there's no way. Well, we figured out the other day you'd be 16 and 15. You're not. You're not even sniffing the tournament no. at, six, at 16 and 15. You're sweating it out just to make the NIT. Um, you know, to have a 500 record or better as you go to the ACC tournament. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four is the number if you'd like to get involved. We've got to take another timeout. We're coming to you live from Dave and Buster's at Destiny USA. Stephen Fonte, Seth Goldberg with you. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're coming to you live from Dave and Buster's at Destiny USA 315-437-7644. If you'd like to get involved, we can certainly talk some SU basketball. We'll continue to do so at the top of the hour with Eric Devendorf, who's set to join us here at Dave and Buster's. But I, I do want to uh, change topics briefly here, Seth, to, to talk some NFL. And I, I mentioned to you both off the air and then at the top of the show uh, that I was I was at the Bills-Ravens game yesterday. It was just kind of a, a spur-of-the-moment thing. My daughter had never been to an NFL game. We've been talking about going. I was like, do you want to go? She was like, sure. So we uh, we bought tickets. We, we went to the Bills-Ravens yesterday. Fantastic atmosphere. I, I can't remember the last time there's been a, an atmosphere that good and that electric in the month of December at a Bills game. Right? It's, I mean, it, it has. It's been a while. It's been you know, 20 years since they were legitimately good, and it feels like this team is legitimately good. My question to you is this. We look at the contenders in the NFC. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody made the Super Bowl out of the NFC, you know, outside of the NFC East champ. There, there's going to be a team that is a pretty darn good football team that's they're not going to go to Dallas. There's going to be a team that, that's not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, that too. Um, you've got yeah, but Niners. the Niners are the Niners or the Seahawks are going to have to go to Dallas, right? But you've got Niners, Seahawks, Saints, Packers, and then either the Vikings or the Rams. Or one of the Vikings or Rams, one of those teams is going to be left out, and I, I think those teams are, are good enough to make a run. Um, the but, Rams are all of a sudden, by the way, ju- just to sneak in, the Rams are playing incredibly well the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I they mean, look back to being They like looked themselves. fantastic last night. They looked fantastic last night. So um, would I be shocked if the Rams made a run? No. I, I think five of the six teams in the NFC can absolutely make a run to the Super Bowl, and, and I'm discounting whoever comes out of the NFC East. You go to the AFC, though. Ravens? Definitely. Best team probably in the NFL right now. Certainly, I think, the best team in the AFC. The Chiefs showed yesterday that they are obviously a contender. And as long as Pat Mahomes is healthy, that that team can win games. And I know there's some concerns about his hand. um, But they're obviously a legit contender. And the Patriots, even though they're struggling miserably on offense right now, they're still a contender. I mean, they still have Tom Brady. You at least have to look at them as, as a team that, that could run the table and, and make it back to the Super Bowl. And they're still the Patriots. Right. Yeah. So are there three contenders in the AFC, or are there four? And, you know, Seth Everett and I talked a little bit about this on Friday when you were out, that the perception around the country is that, you know, oh, look at what they're doing in western New York. It's a nice little story. Look at what the Bills are doing. They took advantage of an easy schedule, and they're 9-3. and three. Now they're 9-4 and four after losing to the Ravens. But you look closer, and again, I was I was at both of the the Patriot and Ravens games. I'm not saying they outplayed you the Ravens. Going to games. They didn't. I know. <laughs> hey, I knew going into both of those, there was a good chance they were going to lose. But I tell you what, the Patriots game, I could say without a doubt, the Bills outplayed them that day. 
they did not win, and I know that it's a you know a black and white league. You know, wins and losses. It's, there's no gray area. There's no moral victories. I get that. Bills outplayed them that day. They were the better team. There was a block punt. They they came up six points short, and, and they didn't get it done offensively. Again, yesterday, and I'm not saying they were the better team. They lost by a touchdown. They had the ball first and ten from the 18 with two minutes to go. And, again, offensively, they didn't do enough to win that game. They had three really big drop passes. Um, they had some bad breaks. They had a, a pass interference. I don't know how much you watched the game, but the, uh, a, a pass interference that looked blatant at, to end the third quarter. There was no call. Sean McDermott decided not to challenge it. And, and you know, I, I think that was a, a key to the game. But, again, it, it – it came down to a play or two. The Ravens were a play or two better yesterday. The Patriots were a play or two better at the beginning of the season. Are we discounting the Bills because they've been bad for so long? And I mean, um, their defense, they held, their defense is incredible. They held Lamar Jackson and the Ravens yesterday to essentially half their, off- half their offensive output from the rest of the season. Nobody's been able to slow them down. The Bills held them to half their average yard total. Yeah, their defense is incredible, and, and their defense has been incredible this year. And, and they've been very good and, on the road. And the last couple of years. Um, are we discounting them because they're the Bills? Partially, probably, yeah. Uh, yes, because over the last 20 years, they haven't given you very many reasons to think that they are good. And they haven't, they haven't given you very many reasons to buy in over the last 20 years. You know, they, they finally get to the playoffs. They win it. They take a step back. I know they kind of expected to take a step back, but they take the step back and they, and they do what they did last year. Uh, that being said, looking at them this year, I, I'll, ask, I'll ask the question that you, the, the thing that you said, and I'll ask it a different way. Uh, you lost by a touchdown to the Patriots because your offense could only score 10 points. Your offense yesterday scored, what, 17? Yep. And you mentioned drop passes, and, and man, Josh Allen missed some. He did. Missed some la- yesterday, too. Um, and I, I say this as somebody who was starting to come around on Josh Allen, but do you win those two games with a different person playing quarterback? So you know, like, like if if you're able to make a pass here, a pass there, are you winning those two games? So if you're asking me if you had Drew Brees, you winning those games? The answer is yes. Or Aaron Rodgers. There is a reason that those guys have been doing it for so long, and they're among the best in the game. They are special. I think Josh Allen has the ability to get there. Um, there's no doubt that that he's not a finished product yet. He's a work in progress. Again, I don't know how much you watch the game, but for our listeners, um, he did not play well in the first half. Right. He had the fumble he missed open receivers his decision making was suspect in the first half i thought he played a great second half and he was let down it was almost like you know he did his receivers a disservice on some plays in the first half they returned the favor in the second half he he had a couple of just big drops um that would have extended drives or had had you know chances to to be game changing type plays that he put the ball right on the money. There was one down the sideline to Devin Singletary. It was yep. like just it was right there, maybe a half a step yeah. too far. Cole Beasley had a drop. Dawson Knox had a drop. Uh, just in the hands, like just you know, professional receivers need to make those plays. See, um, I did I did the thing yesterday where I watched the majority of the first half of the Bills game, and I had the uh, the Saints Niners as like the second game that I was flipping to. And then both games hit halftime, and I was just like, what am I doing? I was like, that game is so much more entertaining. There have been like 50 points in the first half. I'm going to that one. 
And so I started watching mainly that game while going back and forth. And I still caught a lot of the Bills game yesterday. But it was just a, it was just something that came into my mind, you know, as as I was watching that game where, you know, I, I thought that on Thanksgiving, Josh Allen was tremendous. I, I thought he played a great game. And, you know, to see that 10 days later that he was that he was making some throws that that, you know, j- just weren't on target. And yes, in the, in the second half, the receivers didn't help him out. Um, you know, I just, I just thought it was interesting, and I know he's I know he's not a finished product yet, but it it seemed like he was taking the steps forward. So, and then, and then obviously against a significantly better defense, he, that's he what took I was going to say. My my response to that would be the Ravens blitzed him a lot, and he was on the run quite a bit in the first half. And again, let's keep in mind he's he's a year and a half into his professional career, and so I mean it's unsettling. I, I would imagine it's unsettling for any quarterback to be under duress constantly and this isn't an excuse for him but he i mean he was sacked six times he was under duress quite a bit of the day ravens did a great job they blitzed a lot and they left their you know their defensive backs you know for the most part one-on-one in a lot of situations and and they expect those guys to win win those battles and and they did um and listen if you look at the the bill's weakness as an offense i'm not sure josh allen is the the main weakness I, they just don't have dynamic receivers. Right. And they that, they and, just don't. And that's a problem, and, and I, I did want to get to that at some point, too. You mentioned one play that was just not not made was Devin Singletary, their running back. Uh, you don't necessarily expect a running back to make a play streaking down the sideline. That's a difficult position to put him in. Um, you know, you mentioned Cole Beasley. Uh, okay, like he's a nice second, third, you know, ni- nice third receiver. Uh, but when it's him and John Brown, you need something else. And, he became the go-to guy at the end of that yeah, game. And, and I think that... Um, they they need to do a better job of surrounding him with people, and I know I've said this particularly about uh, about Daniel Jones, but like you've got a young quarterback, you've got to put weapons around him, and you know. Sean McDermott knew, or I should say, uh, Brandon Bean knew that he had a young quarterback the last uh, last off season. He knew the previous off season he was going to have a young quarterback that he was going to be drafting. So I think that really they've done a disservice to jo- to Josh Allen in a lot of ways. Fine, you got John Brown. Like congratulations, he's a nice receiver. But to to really, I, I think, spend a high draft pick and and find somebody that is a a real weapon, a dynamic player. Uh, could be beneficial. Before we move off of Allen for a second, because I know we've we've brought this up before, uh, the the prize wheel in front of us. If you take all the prizes off and you you put thirty two slots of the thirty two starting quarterbacks, and and I, like this is kind of how I remember we we talked about is your quarterback good enough? You're not at the point with Josh Allen where you're spinning that thing. If you if you're the Buffalo Bills, you like what you have, and you're not taking your chances no, that you get I, something better. No, is, I, is is the thought that I'm thinking? You yeah, know, you're at and most Bills fans. Yeah, are. I, you know, I was not a fan of the pick when they when they made the selection. Um, I have warmed up to Josh Allen, and I think his decision making is getting better. Um, again, we have to keep in mind: it is he just doesn't have the same weapons um, that everybody else does. Cole Beasley, nice piece. John Brown, nice piece. I think it's an upgrade from where they were, but but maybe a slight upgrade. They they definitely need to upgrade that position, and I think that's a that's a position of priority and emphasis for them going into the twenty twenty draft. Is I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you look at potentially using a high pick, whether it's your first pick or your second pick. Like are one of those Clemson receivers coming out? Can you get one of them? 
I mean, again, potentially um, that that's where they go with their first pick is you know a dynamic wide receiver. And again, if you if you listen to the the so-called experts, the draft experts, it's a deep draft at the wide receiver position. So that that might be a position they target. Um, I've I've liked his development. I think he's gotten better. I think he's been good for this team. Um, he's a big, strong kid. He's great on the quarterback sneaks. Um, you know, and and that's certainly that something that that's helpful. Well, uh, he, he's not super accurate, but he's he's getting better with that. I, I let's put it this way: I don't think they lost yesterday's game because of Josh Allen. That's fair. No, they, and, and, they didn't lose the game because of Josh. No, they were right there. They just they, they didn't make one more play at the end of the game. No, that, that's fair. And I, I wasn't necessarily saying that they did. You know, it, it, it was just something that came into my head. You know, obviously he's a year and a half in. Obviously he is young. He is still growing, still developing as quarterback. But I, I was kind of wondering, like, if you had a quarterback who was able to make a couple of those throws, do you win that game? Now, look, Tyrod Taylor isn't making some of the plays that Josh Allen makes. And so I'm not saying go get Ty- – you know, don't don't play don't draft Josh Allen because you had Tyrod Taylor who brought you to the playoffs for the first time in forever. You know that's not necessarily the answer either. The answer is he's got to just he's got to keep the development going in an, in a positive direction. Yeah, and let's not forget the the Patriots game. That was the one that he got knocked yes. out of with a concussion. And when they were moving the ball, they were inside the twenty. He gets knocked out with a concussion. Uh, Matt Barkley's got to come in finish the drive. It, that might have been a different game if Josh Allen plays all four quarters. So I don't think they lost yesterday because of Josh Allen. I think they lost yesterday because the Ravens are the best team in the NFL, and the Bills were right there, and, and they, they just couldn't quite make that one play at the end to, to get the game into overtime. But it was a great atmosphere. The defense is legit. Um, so I'm going to circle back as we kind of close out this particular segment. I'm going to circle back. Are the Bills a contender? In your mind, are there four contenders in the AFC, or are there three? They're borderline. See, I know they're no, borderline. Well, no, 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 well, it's it's funny that you say it because I, I was going a different way where I almost, like, I, I don't want to say that I think there are only two contenders, but I think that there are only two contenders in the AFC. Are you like leaving I, the Chiefs out? I, no, I oh, really Oh, you're leaving think, the Patriots yeah. out? No, like I, you can't leave the and Patriots I, and out. I, I don't, that's why I hesitate to do it because it's the Patriots and they're going to go win the AFC and they're going to go win another Super Bowl. So I don't want to say here on December 9th that they're not a contender to win the AFC, but I... I feel like the pay, I feel like the Ravens are clearly and obviously better than them. I've been doing I, this for years. And I feel like just when you count out the Patriots, I feel like the Chiefs are clearly and obviously better than them when people are healthy. And I just I I don't know. I I don't I don't see the Patriots on that same level. And much like you said, are we doing this to the Bills because they're the Bills? I think that. A lot of people are, are yeah, having the, sure. the problem that I'm having, saying the Patriots are going to be there because they're the Patriots. And so the way that you don't give the Bills the benefit of the doubt, we are giving the Patriots the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, what, for the that. last 20 I mean, the Patriots years, have earned for the that. last 20 years, they've earned it. They have. And, uh, you know, much the same way that the, that the Bills over the last 20 years have earned not to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, it's, it's just kind of one of those situations. Well, the, the other thing is, Seth, that whoever the Patriots go up against – you know, deep in the playoffs and in, in those big games, they're going to have already seen them, right? That's what I was going to say. You, look, you they, look at the other they, three potential contenders, if you're talking about Ravens, Chiefs, and let's throw the Bills in there, they're going to have seen the Bills twice, and they're going to have played the Ravens and the Chiefs. Yeah, and, and did they play? Uh, they did not. They did play the Steelers. They, they played the Steelers on opening night. But I'm not, so I'm played, not, I'm no, not no, even no, thinking about no, the Steelers. No, no, though, no but, but, yeah. but 
what I was going to say is they've played every team currently in a playoff right. spot. They've played the the Ravens, uh, Ravens, Chiefs, Texans, Bills, and Steelers. So they've played all of those teams. And we talked about this in particular when it comes to Baltimore. But getting a second look at a team is beneficial. Getting a third look, especially for that coach Buffalo, it's and that beneficial. quarterback. Especially yeah. for that coach and that quarterback, that's why you can't so, you can't. Rule I know, them out. And, and that's why I don't want to. But I I probably lean more towards there are two contenders than four. So I'll I'll stick at three. <laughs> okay. I pro- no my my I I lean more towards there are fewer contenders in the a- in the AFC than there are. Than Do there you are agree more. there are five in the NFC? Yeah. I mean those teams are all Any of so them, right? good. Those teams are all so good. Uh, San Francisco, Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seattle in particular. Th- those four. Um, and the way the Rams are playing right now, I, uh, I yeah, I would, I would lump him in there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick Kirk Cousins in a game that matters until he proves that he wins one. All right, that's fair enough. I mean, that's probably the one <laughs> team on that list that I would, I would I be hesitant about as well. I but, can't do it, man. The Rams looked awfully good last night, and, and have looked awfully good as you said now, the last couple of weeks. I'm not gonna tell you exactly how. Our picks went, but we had uh, we had yeah. Reverse, I know I didn't do well. We had reverse records this so okay. far this week going well, into tonight's game. I know I didn't do well, and that's and that's fine. Um, I still have what three weeks to make it up. Are we doing this so. just through the regular season? Are we going to do it we through can, the Super we Bowl? We can keep it going through the Super Bowl. All right, three one five four three seven seventy six forty four is the number. I think we did last year. I think we did as well. I, didn't I beat you by like two last year? I think like a game. Yeah, yeah. It went, it went I right was forced, down the wire. I was forced to pick a Super Bowl winner that I didn't think was going to win. That's right. I was up by one going into the Super Bowl, and we just we picked opposites just, just so it would be interesting. But, yes, I, I ended up winning, I, I think, by two. We've got Eric Devendorf set to join us here at the top of our number two. We'll wrap up our number one right after this on ESPN Radio.